Happy Tuesday evening. This is a Tomorrow Christian Today, reading Genesis 38 in the NLT. It's a little bit of a odd chapter, so why don't we pray and ask the Lord to help us navigate through his word. Dear Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your book. Um, we thank you. It is very honest, very pure. Sometimes it's an unvarnished look at human nature. It's your perspective of our human nature. And there's parts of our human nature, actually our human nature is evil um, because it's been corrupted and it's not something we should be proud of. It's something that we should try to let loose and repent of so that we may live with you forever. So please give us your Holy Spirit. Help us to be humble, meek, teachable, malleable in your hands. You are the potter, we are the clay. And help us now as we read your word, Lord, to get something from it that it may chisel us, change us, soften us. That when the sun rises over us, we will not be like clay and hardened, but we will be like mud that softens. I pray in the name of Christ. Amen. I think I might have got that mixed up. Maybe mud hardens and clay softens. Anyways, <clears throat> this is called Judah and Tamar. About this time, Judah left home and moved to Adullam, where he stayed with a man named Herah. Then he saw a Canaanite woman, the daughter of Sua, and he married her. Um, when he was with her, uh, she became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and he named the boy Ur. Then she became pregnant again and gave birth to another son, and she named him Onan. And when she gave birth to a third son, she named him Shelah. At the time of Shelah's birth, they were living at Kezeb. In the course of time, Judah arranged for his firstborn son, Ur, to marry a young woman named Tamar. Wow, so time is really kind of, kind of passing uh, in Genesis 38 here. But Ur was a wicked man in the Lord's sight, so the Lord took his life. Then Judah said to Ur's brother, Onan, go and marry Tamar, as our law requires of the brother of a man who has died. You must produce a heir for your brother. But Onan was not willing to have a child who would not be his own heir. So whenever he had relations with his brother's wife, um, the text says something that I don't really understand, but he didn't allow it to happen, is my paraphrase. This prevented her from having a child who would belong to his brother. But the Lord considered it evil for Onan to deny a child to his dead brother, so the Lord took Onan's life too. Then Judar said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Go back to your parents' home and remain a widow until my son Shelah is old enough to marry you. But Judah didn't really intend to do this because he was afraid Shelah would also die like his two brothers. So Tamar went back to live in her father's home. Um, I don't know, she sounds rejected or it hasn't gone well for her. Uh, obviously not a lot of happiness. Doesn't seem like a lot of happiness there. Sometime year, some years later, Judah's wife died. After the time of mourning was over, Judah and his friend Hirah the Adulamite went up to Timnah to supervise the sharing of his sheep. Someone told Tamar, look, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to share his sheep. I'm sure I've seen this before, this Timnah. I don't know if I've seen it before when I, was, when I read the story of Samson, but it may be the same place. I'm not exactly sure. Tamar was aware that Shelah had grown up, but no arrangements had been made for her to come and marry him. So she changed out of her widow's clothing and covered herself with a veil to disguise herself. Kind of sounds like um, uh, Leah when she was disguised with a veil when she married Jacob. 
she's covering herself up. Then she sat beside the road at the entrance of the village of Enam, which is on the road to Timnah. Judah noticed her and thought she was a pro- she was a woman of the night since she had covered her face. So he stopped and propositioned her. Wow. Let me uh, engage with you, he said, not realizing that she was his own daughter-in-law. How much will you pay me? Tamar asked. I'll send you a young goat for my flock, Judah promised. But what will you guarantee? What will you give me to guarantee that you will send the goat, she asked. What kind of guarantee do you want, uh, he replied. She answered, leave me your identification seal and its cord and the walking stick you are carrying. So Judah gave them to her. Then he had relations with her and she became pregnant. Afterwards, she went back home, took off her veil and put on her widow's clothing as usual. So the Bible just, there are some things that the Bible reports that are pretty raw. And I would think this is one of them because I'm reading this and I've read this before. I really don't know what to make of this. Like it's just kind of human nature. I I would say human, human, not human nature at its best, uh, not human nature at its worst, just human nature um, at its, uh, at its mischievous or at sneakiness. There's a lot of sneaky stuff going on here. Very sneaky, very cloak and dagger, very veiled, very covered up, not transparent. Afterwards, she went back home, took off her veil, and put on her widow's clothing as usual. Later, Judah asked his friend Hirah the Adulamite to take the young goat to the woman and pick up the things he had given her as his guarantee. But Hirah couldn't find her, so he asked the man who lived there, Where can I find the shrine woman of the night who was sitting beside the road at the entrance to Enam? We've never had a shrine person like that here, they replied. So Hirah returned to Judah and told him, I couldn't find her anywhere, and the men of the village claim they've never had a, such a person there. It's amazing how it just, you know, I don't know, it's just so, just asking so out in the open, almost not having a shame for committing such a sin. Like, I'm not saying to give advice about how to sin, but when you do things, you just, you know, things that are sneaky like this, are you just, you shouldn't be transparent because everybody's going to know, but it seems that maybe this is part of the methodology of the Bible where it says, take care, your sin will find you out. You can cover up things, you can try to do evil things, you can cover it up, say nobody's going to know, but God knows, and eventually it comes out in the wash. The dirty laundry comes out. Verse 22, So Hirah returned to Judah and told him, I couldn't find her anywhere, and the men of the village claim they've never had such a person there. Then let her keep the things I gave her, Judah said. I sent the young goat as we agreed, but you couldn't find her. We'd be the laughing stock of the village if we went back again to look for her. He's worried about being a laughing stock? What about violating your moral code? About three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law has acted like a woman of the night. And now because of this, she's pregnant. Bring her out and let her be burned, Judah demanded. Wow. So here's the guy. The boy, this is really, this, this is, you know, this is the kettle calling the, the, or the coffee calling the kettle black. Something like that, you know. But as they were taking her out to kill her, she sent this message to her father-in-law. The man who owns these things made me pregnant. Look closely. Whose seal and cord and walking stick are these? Judah recognized them immediately and said, 
And it doesn't say, uh, it doesn't really say that he was in shock or he was morally, um, you know, he, he was afraid. It just says he recognized them immediately and said, she's more righteous than I am because I didn't arrange for her to marry my son, Shelah. And Judah never slept with her again. When the time came for Tamar to give birth, it was discovered that she was carrying twins. While she was in labor, one of the babies reached out his hand. The midwife grabbed it and tied a scarlet string around the child's wrist, announcing this one came out first. This one came out first, but then he pulled it back his hand and out came his brother. What? The midwife exclaimed. How did you break out first? So he was named Perez. Then the baby with the scarlet string on his wrist was born, and he was named Zerah. Well, this Judah person, I think he is the ancestor of, of Jesus. So there's a lot inside Jesus' line. Um, and I do remember reading that somewhere. I think it was in Matthew or is in Luke. Actually, I was told that the line in Matthew is coming through Joseph. And the line in Luke is coming through Mary. And both Joseph, even though Joseph is his adopted father, and Mary is his real maternal mother, they're both descendants of David. So it's quite amazing how that happened. But it does seem to me that Judah is the guy who gets outraged, but then he gets, I'm sure you, I mean, wouldn't anybody be shocked to find out that you want to be so morally, um, you know, so morally uh, self-righteous, and then you discover that, you know, you want to um, condemn somebody's sin, but then you discovered you're the one that's the sinner, you're the source, you're the problem, not the solution. Remember when the prophet Nathan was talking to David and he was telling the story about the man who had all the sheep but decided to steal the sheep from one man. And, he, and uh, the prophet Nathan said, what, um, and then have the man who owned the sheep, the one lone sheep, have that man killed. And the prophet Nathan is telling this to David and the prophet Nathan asked David, what would you do with such a man? And David says, that's, you know, he's morally outraged. I would have that man killed. That's not justice. And then Nathan says, you are the man. So take care that your sins don't find you out. I think there's a lot of wonderful preachers in Christianity. And I think either uh, they get too close to some people or some people get too close to them and they don't watch their boundaries. And then all of a sudden, somebody's taking a leave from a church because he was exchanging inappropriate messages with a woman. And all of a sudden, um, shame comes on him and his family and his ministry. And maybe the person made a mistake. Maybe they uh, did not, um, they did not act in proper judgment. Maybe this was sort of um, an impulsive thing. But the problem is sin has consequences. You do 99% of the things right in your life, but you make one, one mistake and the whole world claps back at you when you make a mistake. All the good things you've done, everything you've preached, all the good things you've tried to accomplish gets ruined. And people don't care about the 99% you've done. They want the 1% ruined. That's, that's where they clap when you get ruined. Or maybe they're clapping for you now, but they're not, they're secretly hoping for your downfall. But the problem is when, when Christians do things like this, 
Jesus gets a black eye. Maybe I'm overanalyzing this chapter because it's just, it's really a narrative. You just read it, you get shocked. You kind of see that, you know, even people who are in, you know, trying to do what is right, our sin, our, our nature is so corrupted, so off, so unholy, so unrighteous, that all our righteousness is as filthy rags and that we are capable of doing horrid and evil things. But God still loved us. God still forgave us. God came and died for us through his son, Jesus Christ. And God absorbed all of our sins onto himself so that we could, be, we could start again. We could be justified by faith and we could be, have the promise of sanctification where God wants to work with us and wants to change us. But he has to have our cooperation and our repentance. I'm so grateful to a God like that because I have made mistakes in my life. And as I get older, I realize the Bible, Jesus, God, you know, God's always been with me. And I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful that God did not abandon me. I'm so grateful that, you know, God does wait for us to do stupid things. And when we come back to him, he doesn't say, oh, now you want me when you're at your bottom. Oh, now you, you had your fun. You had your wild times. And now when you're all broken, you want to come back to me and you want to start again. I don't want you. But he doesn't say that. He says, welcome home, my son. I've been waiting for you. Welcome home, my daughter. I've been waiting for you. And he cleans us up and then he says, go and sin no more. God bless you all.